Hello, everybody. You'll see that this episode is long. I know it's quite long. It wasn't really my intention to make an episode that's more than 90 minutes long. It just happened as a result of the detail in this episode. This was just how long it took me uh, to say the things I wanted to say and explain things clearly. You don't have to listen to the entire episode in one go. You could listen to a bit and then pause and then do something else like go to work. And your podcast app will remember where you paused and you can then carry on again. All right. So I hope that you all enjoy the details in this episode. It was actually quite a lot of work to prepare this, but I'm prepared to do that because I really like this topic and I hope that you do too. This episode is sponsored by italki. If you're looking for one-to-one lessons or if you just want a native English speaker to talk to for conversation practice, uh, or if you are looking for things like exam preparation work, grammar work, pronunciation, job interview things, uh, it's all possible on italki. Uh, Go on have a look at the teachers, choose the ones that suit you. You can have trial lessons with them. And then when you buy some talking time, because you listen to this podcast, italki will send you a voucher worth a free lesson. To get that offer, you need to use my link, which is teacherluke.co.uk slash talk, or you can click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Welcome to this new episode of the podcast. I'm recording this not at home in the flat. I'm recording this in my co-working space in an empty meeting room, which is why it might sound a bit echoey. Can you hear the kind of echo or reverb of my voice? Anyway, I'm I'm recording this in a, as I said, an empty meeting room, which is why the sound is a bit different. So here we are then with part three of this British comedy episode, hot on the heels of part two. This series is all about this famous British comedy character called Alan Partridge. If you haven't heard parts one and two yet, I recommend that you go and listen to those first. The plan in this episode is, again, to listen to some clips on YouTube and then analyse them for language. Hopefully, you'll get the jokes and you'll pick up some nice vocabulary along the way. Um, Three episodes is quite a lot to devote to one thing like this. But I really like Alan Partridge and introducing this comedy to you successfully so that you enjoy it is a sort of personal challenge for me and also... There's so much Partridge content that I feel that just one episode or maybe even just two episodes would only really scratch the surface. So to give this subject a proper chance, I feel like we need to spend a bit more time on it. I hope that you're willing to come along with me for the ride as we go. Hopefully you're enjoying these episodes. Actually, I don't really know what most of you think. I don't really have any idea of what your thoughts are. I've had a few messages from people saying that they're looking forward to part three of this, um, mostly in the form of emails. For example, here's a, a part of a message from a listener called Hannah in Germany that I received yesterday. And Hannah wrote this to me. She said, Dear Luke, I just wanted to get in touch to tell you how much I like your podcast. I've listened to the newest Partridge episode today and loved it. I think you've done a brilliant job in getting across what's so funny and weirdly likeable about him. I'm really looking forward to a third episode about him, and in fact, to all the upcoming episodes. In the meantime, I scroll through your fantastic archive and pick out my favourite topics to enjoy in my everyday life. Well, thank you, Hannah. 
genuinely, it's very nice to read a message like that, to know uh, that um, people are out there enjoying the episodes I've been doing about Alan Partridge, because, you know, as I've said, I've no idea what you all think about it. Uh, So that was an email. But on the website, I've had hardly any comments, hardly any, which means almost none. I've had hardly any comments on these uh, Alan Partridge episodes, which is making me wonder what you're all thinking. I'm thinking, uh, still no comments, what's going on? Uh, I've got no idea, really, what you're thinking, so please do let me know in the comments section. Are you like Hannah from Germany, who thinks that I've managed to do a good job of getting across to you the ins and outs of Alan Partridge, or does it all seem somehow hard to understand and totally unfunny? Let me know in the comments section. I did receive another email a couple of days ago from a teacher in Japan. I think he's a native English speaker. I'm not sure where he's from. He might be American. He might be British. I don't know. But anyway, I got this email from a teacher in Japan. I don't know the age of his students, but he described them as students. So I don't know, maybe they're adults. They could be university students. I don't know. They're not children in in any case. So I got this email from this, this teacher in Japan. Um, who I think is a native English speaker. And I have to share this email with you. So the email goes like this. Hello, Luke. I teach English in Japan. My students often listen to your podcast. Well, hello to you. In a recent episode, you had a TV show host interviewing a child genius. Uh, My students are split on whether this really happened or whether it was staged. So the students are split, like some of them think it was real, some of them think it was staged, meaning fake. I think it's pretty clear that a real TV show host would not actually physically abuse a child on TV, but my students are not convinced. They think this, smacking children upside the head in public and making them cry, they think this is an example of British humour. And he says, notice that I spelt humour with a U. I guess this maybe this means that the person is American, using British English. I don't know. Anyway, so they, the, the students think that smacking a child is British is an example of British humour. He goes on to say, I noted that you said it was a spoof, a parody at the beginning of the segment, but they're not convinced. Please clarify and explain the meaning of spoof. I love your show. Well... <laughs> This is exactly the sort of thing I'm talking about. There's always someone who gets the completely wrong end of the stick and misunderstands something quite essential about the comedy, like, for example, what is the target of the joke and what are the underlying meanings or assumptions. I actually sort of can't believe that there's anyone out there who would think that Alan Partridge is a real person and that he actually slapped a real child and that that's where the comedy comes from. Uh, I can't believe it, really. Um, Slapping a child is an absolutely terrible thing to do, and it's certainly not funny on its own. So no, the sketch in part one where Alan appears to slap a child is obviously not real, okay? Just to end the debate, I know that half your students seem to think it really happened. Let me assure them it didn't happen. It's not real. It's just a comedy sketch. They're all actors, Um, So it seems I might need to clarify something. I thought it was obvious, but you should remember that Alan is not a real person. He's a character made up by comedians. The scene in part one where he interviews a child genius, the child is not a real child. He's played by an actress, an adult, a fully grown-up actress called um, Dune McKeegan. 
She's an actress who's been in lots of comedy shows on TV. And in the sketch, she is changing her voice to sound like a child. I thought that was obvious. And anyway, Alan doesn't actually slap anyone. It's just a sound effect for the radio. Nobody gets, no one got slapped. And anyway, it was just a comedy sketch. So no one got slapped in real life. And in the sketch, anyway, we're not really laughing at a child being slapped. That's not the joke. It's not just, hey, he slapped a, joke, slapped a child and that's funny. That's not the joke. Just slapping a child is clearly not funny. It's awful. So we're not laughing at a child being slapped. Uh, this is not British humour, all right? We're laughing at the fact that Alan is a fatally flawed character. So we're laughing at the personality of Alan Partridge. He's so pathetic that he will slap a child in order to come out on top or to save face. So we're laughing at the reason why Alan would slap a child, or we're laughing at the, the fact it's so shocking that Alan would slap a child on, tel- on radio or television. And we're laughing at the reasons why he would do that. And the reasons are that basically Alan is a pathetic person who doesn't want to lose. He never wants to lose any kind of situation. And in that scene, the child obviously humiliated him by showing that uh, Alan was uneducated. And Alan's response was completely pathetic and totally reprehensible, awful. And he slapped the child and he did it in a very pathetic way by pretending the kid had something on his shoulder and then slapping him. And so it was, it was pathetic. And that's where the comedy comes from. The fact that this is a pathetic character. So we're not laughing at someone slapping a child. That's not funny on its own. It's funny when we, when we see it happen done in a certain way by a certain person. So the target of the joke is Alan Partridge and his motivations. It's nothing to do with whether he slapped a child or not, really. Um, I understand that in different parts of the world, like, for example, in Japan, social conventions are different. They're so different in some cases that it might be hard to notice where the comedy is coming from. It might be difficult to see where the comedy is in slapping a child. But it's really not a, it, it's, it's really about the character of Alan and how he reacts to being wrong in a situation. So, you know, slapping a child isn't really British humour, but featuring a character who would slap a child is more typical of British comedy. We often feature characters in our sitcoms who will do terrible things in order to get what they want, and they often fail. And we laugh at these people. We don't laugh with them. They are the target of the humour. Alan is not a hero who we support. Quite the opposite. Um, He's an anti-hero. We observe him doing all sorts of terrible and pathetic things. Another example like this would be Basil Fawlty from the TV show uh, Fawlty Towers. Uh, Basil does lots of terrible things to make sure his hotel business doesn't get closed down. We cringe at the things he does. Ooh, it's like awkward. We cringe at the things that Alan or Basil Fawlty does. But we're also amused by what happens to this person who is essentially not very nice. And we see that he's not very nice when he's put under tremendous pressure. And that's pressure that he's probably responsible for in the first place. So anyway... For most of you, I probably didn't need to give that clarification. But for the students at the school, who, however old you, you are, um, who, uh, whoever you are, and however old you are, uh, I, I'm not sure. Let me assure you, Alan Partridge is not real. None of this is real. He's played by, he's a character played by an actor called Steve Coogan. And Alan Partridge himself, the character, is a parody or a spoof. So, um, 
the emailer asked me to explain these concepts. So a parody is a humorous piece of writing or drama or music or comedy or something which imitates the style of a well-known person or represents a familiar situation in an exaggerated way. So the point of a parody is that basically you're copying or imitating something in order to make fun of it. When someone parodies a particular work or thing or person, they imitate it in an amusing or exaggerated way. Okay, so a parody is an imitation or copy of something in order to make fun of it. And Alan Partridge is a parody of TV presenters. And in fact, later on, Alan Partridge becomes a parody of a certain type of um, kind of uh, small-minded, middle-aged English man. A spoof, here's the other word, a spoof is a show, like a TV show or a piece of writing, that appears to be serious but is actually a joke. It's also like a fake show. For example, the day-to-day, which is where Alan Partridge first arrived as the sports reporter, the day-to-day is a spoof of the news. It looks like the news. It kind of sounds like the news. It presents itself as being kind of serious like the news. But when you hear the stories and the content is clearly ridiculous, you realize, oh, this is a spoof of the news. Okay? We often use spoof and parody in the same or similar ways. Uh, So Alan Partridge is a spoof or parody of news uh, reporters or sports reporters or TV presenters. Um, And then a third word is a satire. Now, satire is a piece of comedy designed to criticize something by making fun of it. And satire is, is like spoof or parody, but it doesn't always involve imitations and is often uh, more serious. It might have serious targets like politics. So essentially, satire is a piece of work, often comedy, that aims to make fun of serious things like politics and to criticise politics especially. An example might be uh, the uh, the book Animal Farm by George Orwell. This is considered to be a satire of communism. Um, and it criticizes and makes fun of communism with this fictional story about f- about pigs and animals running a farm. So Alan Partridge is certainly a spoof or parody of television and radio presenters, and perhaps at its best, it's some kind of satire about television and culture in general. In fact, he's become more of a parody of a s- sort of small-minded English man. So I hope that clarifies a few things. I mean, you know, whenever I do episodes like this that are potentially ambiguous and easy to misunderstand, there's always going to be someone out there who gets the wrong end of the stick. Uh, The whole thing is a made-up comedy sketch. I can't believe I have to say that, but there you go. So um, I could talk about what the appeal of Alan Partridge is. I don't think I'm going to do that. I'm I'm not going to go on and on about... uh, Uh, trying to explain the psychology of of this character. I've done enough of that. Let's listen to some more clips. And this is going to be good listening practice, okay? We're going to listen to two more clips of Alan. Uh, And this will be good listening practice, and there will be loads of vocabulary. By the way, the vocab is all going to be listed on the page for this episode. So if you feel like you're missing some of the words or something, check out the page. You'll see all the vocab there. So there will be loads of vocab, uh, but also let's see this as a kind of little adventure, okay, where I take you into something new and you have to try and work out what's going on. So I've chosen two more clips and I've chosen these ones because they are slightly quieter moments for Alan. Uh, 
So these are not the big moments with all the catchphrases. It's not, you know, monkey tennis and all that stuff. Not the big moments with the catchphrases. But I've chosen a couple of moments where Alan is perhaps at a weak point in his life. Or maybe, you know, he's feeling a bit lost. And um, these are moments which reveal how restless he is and how flawed he is on a basic social level. Uh, So we get a bit deeper into Alan Partridge's psyche in this episode. And it's a pretty dark place, um, I think. So in these clips, I'm asking you actually not to look out for for the jokes. So it's not a question of trying to find the jokes, like in the Edinburgh episode, which was all about jokes, and you had to try and understand what those specific jokes meant. Alan Partridge doesn't really do jokes, Although there are, of course, very funny lines. There are, there are lines in there that are extremely funny. But it's not exactly joke, you know, with a, a, a setup and a punchline. It's much more character-based. So don't look out for jokes. Instead, look for the way this character expresses himself and expresses his underlying personality traits. Look, look for the way these things come out in the things he says and, and the things he does. Watch out for how he chooses his words. Look out for how he can't really connect with people around him, how he's isolated, how he's actually not a very good person. He's not a nice person, really, I think. Um, So there is a bit of tragedy to Alan. It's just there under the surface. You just have to try and read between the lines. So the first clip we're going to listen to, this is when Alan calls his son on the telephone uh, for a conversation and then he makes another telephone call in order to call Curry's. Curry's is a sort of hardware shop. It's the sort of place you would go to buy a stereo system or a computer, you know, um, things like that. Uh, hardware uh, for the house. So com- stereos, video players, DVD players, computers and things like that. So first Alan calls his son Fernando and then he calls this shop Curry's to ask for information about getting a surround sound speaker system. Okay, now this is a glimpse into Alan's family life, first of all, as we listen to him calling his son. So we get a little glimpse of his family life and his relationship with his son. And you could say that the the relationship is strained. There's some strain in the relationship. I mean, it's kind of under some pressure. You could imagine that it could all break and that maybe, you know, there's there's a sense that maybe Alan's son doesn't like Alan. And, you know, there's tension in the relationship. Imagine having Alan Partridge as your father. It would be awful. So um, this scene happens on a Saturday afternoon. Alan decides to call his son Fernando. Fernando is his son's name. Uh, He named uh, Fernando after an ABBA song, because we know that Alan is a big fan of ABBA. There's an ABBA song called Fernando. And so uh, Alan named his son Fernando after the song. It's kind of a ridiculous name. No one's called Fernando. Anyway, Alan calls Fernando, who's 22 years old. 22. I think that's around the same age I was when I first watched this episode of Alan Partridge. I was 22 at the time as well. So anyway, um, Alan calls Fernando to see if he wants to go for a pint of beer. He's inviting him for a drink, Um, which sounds nice until you realise what Alan is really like when he's with his son. So um, he calls Fernando and catches Fernando in bed with his girlfriend. So obviously he interrupts them while they're in bed, I imagine, having sex. 
he catches Fernando in bed with his girlfriend and they have a conversation and Alan ends up uh, lecturing Fernando. To lecture someone is to kind of talk at someone as if you are sort of, as if you know a lot of things and the person you're talking to doesn't know anything. A bit like a university professor would lecture all the students. Uh, your your father might lecture you as well, meaning tell you lots of things, uh, you know, in a, in a slightly patronizing way, telling you what you should and shouldn't do and, and uh, you know, like that, as, as if he's much higher uh, than you. So Alan ends up lecturing Fernando all about how he's actually wasting his time by staying in bed with a girl on a Saturday afternoon. He's actually wasting his time because the weather is so good outside. And the key line to look out for is this one. He says, it's Saturday afternoon and you're in bed with a girl. You're wasting your life. Um, and of, of course, Alan couldn't be more wrong. He's wrong, of course. Spending Saturday afternoon when you're 22 years old in bed with a girl is, is, is a perfectly good way of spending your time. In fact, doing anything else might be considered a waste. So Fernando is certainly living his life, but Alan doesn't see it that way. Instead, Alan suggests that Fernando take the girl out somewhere. He says, why don't you take her out to a local tourist spot? He, in fact, he says, like, take her to a local fort or a Victorian folly. Now, these are the kind of bog-standard local tourist attractions you would find in the UK. A local fort or a Victorian folly. Like, first of all, no one really says Victorian folly. It's just not the sort of thing that people... I mean, this is typical of Alan. He uses language that people just don't normally use in real life. It's the sort of language that you might find in a tourist brochure. It's like the official language, the specifically the right word, but most people would just say probably the name of the place, you know, just take her to Packwood House or something like that. But Alan says, take her to a a, a, a local fort or a Victorian folly. So these are just, you know, the sorts of things you find everywhere in the countryside in the UK. And they're mostly boring places. Uh, a local fort, a fort is probably some kind of old local castle, like maybe a small castle or something like that, some old medieval building. And a Victorian folly is basically a fake medieval building made during the Victorian era. So during the Victorian times, they would actually construct these buildings that looked like they were from the the medieval times, but they weren't. So it was just kind of like a fake medieval building built by the Victorians, And in both cases, the local fort, the Victorian folly, in both cases, these are very boring places, no doubt populated by other uh, middle-class, middle-English, middle-educated weekend tourists with their anoraks and and cameras. And for Alan, this is a great way to spend a Saturday afternoon. But of course, staying in bed with a girl is a far better way to spend your time, but Alan doesn't see it like that. You're wasting your life. Why don't you take her to a a Victorian folly or a local fort? Um, And Alan rambles on the telephone and he rambles too far. He ends up talking about how he used to make love to Fernando's mother, Carol, in various places in the house, even telling the story about how Fernando was conceived. To be conceived means, well, it's the moment when um, the first moment of pregnancy happens. So typically when, uh, uh, you know, the, the stages are that the, the mother and father would have sex. And in that moment, 
if it's successful, the baby is conceived, meaning that the egg is is fertilized. So a person can be conceived, and sometimes parents remember where their children are conceived. You know, so if, uh, Alan goes on to talk about how uh, how Fernando was first conceived, um, making it sound like maybe Fernando might have been a mistake. Like they didn't plan to have him, so he suggests that Fernando might have been a mistake, or that perhaps Alan wasn't very happy when Fernando was born. This is the kind of conversation that Alan somehow thinks it's appropriate to have with his son. Um, we never actually hear Fernando's voice; it's just Alan's half of the conversation, leaving us to work out the other side of the conversation f- for ourselves, which is a good comedy technique. And we can see that there are various serious issues in their relationship it sounds like alan was probably a terrible father making fernando feel unloved and unvalued and just lecturing him rather than relating to him on a normal human level alan tries to be friends with fernando but he's completely unaware of how much he mistreats fernando and how much he probably makes fernando feel bad so um In the end, Fernando just hangs up the phone because Alan ends up talking about flasks. Flasks are these containers that we use to keep our drinks warm. If you've got like a um, loads of coffee and you want to go out and you're going camping or something or you're going for a long walk, you might put the coffee in a flask and the flask will keep it warm. Old-fashioned flasks were very fragile. They had a they had glass inside them. Modern flasks are much more um, rugged and strong. Anyway, Alan goes on and on and on about flasks. He rambles on about the technical details of flasks, and Fernando just hangs up the phone. Alan then calls Curry's, the electronics store, to find out about buying some speakers. And um, as you'd expect, Alan ends up either arguing with the sales assistant or lecturing the sales assistant or maybe... um, telling the sales assistant too many close personal details. Alan also talks about the speaker system in a very weird formal way, perhaps using the technical language that you might read in the product manual, even though this is not the language we would normally use in everyday conversation, and even using some Latin words. For some reason, Alan feels that this technical and formal register is appropriate when talking about some speaker's in a hardware shop. You can imagine that there is a generation of people, perhaps in England, who are old-fashioned enough to feel it's appropriate to talk in formal uh, technical language when you're uh, finding out information about a hi-fi system. At the end, uh, Alan actually attempts to invite the guy from Curry's to go for a pint of beer with him. He tries to invite him for a pint because he's bored, and the guy says no. <laughs> of course. In the end, Alan decides to walk up the motorway to visit the local garage to buy some windscreen washer fluid. Windscreen washer fluid, that's the stuff that you would put in your uh, car. It helps the winds- windscreen washers, you know, the wipers. Uh, if it's raining, you turn on the wipers. So windscreen washer fluid is a fluid that helps you, your wipers to clean the, the windscreen. It's totally boring stuff, you know, the kind of stuff you would buy in a, in a roadside garage. And so, you know, it's funny to see these completely mundane and boring moments in Alan's life, because basically we see that Alan is a bit lost. He's living in isolation. He's, obs- he's living in obscurity. Nobody else in the traven- travel tavern where he's living is there. The place is empty. So Alan just leaves 
shouting slightly desperately in case anyone wants to join him. He's like, I'm just going up to the garage to buy some windscreen washer fuel. Anyone want to come? And there's no one there. And he says, you know, uh, breath of fresh air. Just the way he shouts breath of fresh air in a slightly desperate manner. This, I, don't, I can't explain it. But there's just something funny about it. Here are some things to watch out for. Listen to how Alan makes his son Fernando feel unloved and unwanted. Listen to how Alan describes how Fernando was first conceived. And it sounds like he wasn't very happy when Fernando was born. Listen to how Alan starts going on and on about flasks and the technical details about flasks. And Fernando just hangs up the phone. Listen to how Alan talks to the sales assistant at Curry's and expects him to know Latin. And listen to how he fails to invite the guy for a pint of beer. Let's listen to the sketch and then... uh, Afterwards, I'm going to go through it again, and we'll deal with all the language that you can hear. Here we go. This is Alan calling his son, Fernando. Hello. Who's she? Is she your latest... Ah, uh... oh, right. Yeah. Both sound exhausted. Have you been running? <laughs> um, I'm just wondering if you uh, wanted to go for a drink. Fernando, you're 22 years old and you're spending your Saturday afternoon in bed with a girl. You're wasting your life. (laughs) It's a beautiful day. Take her out to a a local fort or a Victorian folly. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Look, look, your mum and I, believe me, your mum and I, we did it everywhere. You know, in the lounge, in the hall, behind a large boulder on Helvellyn for my birthday. Actually, that is where you were conceived. <laughs> but we just, we just didn't take precautions. No, no, we were delighted. <laughs> no, I mean, at first I was mortified. You know, but, uh, then you were born and we uh, grew to like you. <laughs> Remember, I, uh, I left a tartan flask up there. Yeah, one of those uh, very fragile ones with a screw-on cup stroke cap. So, these days they're much more resilient. Sort of, they took the technology from NASA, basically, which is extraordinary. So modern, modern flasks today are directly linked with the Apollo 11 space mission. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Hello, is that Curry's? I'd like to make an inquiry about uh, two supplementary auxiliary speakers... Uh, to go with my uh, MIDI hi-fi system, apropos achieving surround sound. <laughs> a- apropos. <laughs> it's Latin, isn't it? <laughs> I think you ought to have a basic grasp of Latin if you're uh, <laughs> be working in c- curries. <laughs> oh, you've got them. Excellent. Good. Um, one, one last thing. What time do you knock off? Fancy going for a drink? <laughs> oh, OK, just thought I'd ask. Thank you. <laughs> Hello? Just, just go for a walk. The uh, petrol station. Get some uh, windscreen washer fluid. <laughs> uh, anyone, uh, anyone want to join me? Breath of fresh air! Okay. 
Let's go through that again, again then, in order to just you know clear certain things up. As I said, you'll find all the language I'm about to explain on the page for this episode in a in a nice friendly list for you. Okay, so um, yeah, so he's just called Fernando. And uh, I think the girl picks up the phone first and hands it to Fernando. And we hear Alan going, who's she? Is she your latest, uh, she your latest girlfriend? And he says, you both sound exhausted. Have you been jogging or have you been running or something? Obviously, they've been having sex and he's, he's kind of interrupted them. Hello. Who's she? Is she your latest... Uh... Ah, right. Yeah. Both sound exhausted. Have you been running? <laughs> You know, present perfect continuous there to describe, you know, uh, recent activity that's, uh, you know, sort of continual or repetitive in nature. It could be, have you been running? Uh, you know, are you both sound exhausted? Have you been running? Um, I was just wondering if you uh, wanted to go for a drink. I was just wondering if you wanted to go for a drink. Yeah. Fernando, you're 22 years old and you're spending your Saturday afternoon in bed with a girl. You're wasting your life. <laughs> It's a beautiful day. Take her out to a, a local fort or a Victorian folly. Take her out to a local fort or a Victorian folly. Just the idea that Fernando would do this, that he would actually take her to a local, some crappy local tourist attraction, and that that would be a good thing to do with this girl, uh, is just ridiculous. And it just shows how out of touch Alan is and how awful, you know, he's got, he's got no place telling Fernando how he should be uh, spending his time with this girl. He's got no clue at all. Yeah, of course, but... Look, your mum and I, believe me, your mum, we did it everywhere. Your mum and I, we did it everywhere. Meaning, you know, when we were young, your mother and I, we had sex in, in lots of different places. We, you know, in the lounge, in the hall, behind a large boulder on Helvellyn for my birthday. Behind a large boulder on Helvellyn for my birthday. Where's Helvellyn? Helvellyn? Probably Wales, isn't it? Helvellyn is it, oh it's in the in the English Lake District. It's um it's a mountain in England basically. So he said um you know we did it everywhere on the uh, in the hall um in the in the lounge or something behind a large boulder on Helvellyn. A boulder is a huge rock basically. Um he said behind a large boulder on Helvellyn for my birthday and it turns out that's this is where Fernando was first conceived. Okay so the that time that they had sex that's the result of that was Fernando. Actually, that is where you were conceived. So it's obviously just inappropriate for Alan to be talking to Fernando about where he was conceived. And very, very quickly, as usual with Alan, we've gone into far too much personal detail. And it's, you know, it's just inappropriate. And this is kind of where the comedy's coming from. Uh, and and <laughs> he goes even further. Um, the conversation goes even further and, and into the area of, you know, how Alan felt about uh, Fernando's, um, Fernando being born. But we just we just didn't take precautions. We just didn't take precautions, meaning that they didn't have any birth control. He didn't wear a condom or something like that. We just didn't take precautions, which again sounds like Fernando was a mistake. No, no, we were delighted. <laughs> now the fact we're only hearing half of this conversation shows that you know we can imagine what Fernando is saying. It's like, oh, what was I a mistake or something? Or you know, you weren't happy. And then he said, no, we were delighted. And he says, well, I was, at first I was mortified. <laughs> I was mortified means I was really disappointed. But then, you know, you, you were born and we grew to like you. 
which means that you know it's a sl- it was a slow process, but eventually they learned to like Fernando. What a horrible thing to say to Fernando! Imagine that if your parents said, "Yeah, you were basically a mistake," and you know we were. I was mortified uh, when you were born, but you know we eventually we we learned to like you. It'd be a horrible, painful thing to say to someone. I mean, at first I was mortified. (laughs) Then you were born, and we uh, grew to like you. I left a tartan flask up there. I left a tartan flask up there. So we've dealt with what a flask is. It's a container for hot drinks. Tartan, that's like that Scottish pattern that you see, you know, in Scotland, the tartan scarf. Uh, Tartan flask. So I guess in the 70s, in in the 80s, tartan flasks were quite common. I don't know why they would be uh, given a, a tartan pattern on the outside. I think my parents had a tartan flask. So just specific details like that that kind of you know make it funnier. I mean, if you're from other parts of the world, I don't know, maybe you didn't have tartan flasks. Your flasks probably had different designs on them. But for some reason, it was very common back in the, those days to have flasks with a tartan design. Don't ask me why. Anyway, I left a tartan flask up there. And then he starts to ramble on about how, to, how flasks those days were very uh, fragile, meaning easy to break. Whereas these days, they're a lot more resilient. And it's because they took the technology from NASA and all modern flasks are directly linked to the Apollo 11 space mission. At this point, Fernando just hangs up the telephone. Yeah, one of those uh, very fragile ones with a screw-on cup stroke cap. So these days, they're much more resilient. Sort of, they took the technology from NASA, basically, which is extraordinary. So modern, modern flasks today are directly linked with the Apollo 11 space mission. Hello? So Fernando's obviously just hung up and Alan's go, oh, sod him, sod him, which means, oh, you know, forget about him, Uh, screw him, sod him. (laughs) Then he calls Curry's and uh, asks about, what is it he says when he calls Curry's? He says, "Um, I'd like to make an inquiry. So obviously it sounds very formal. I'd like to make an inquiry about two supplementary auxiliary speakers to go with my MIDI hi-fi system, apropos achieving surround sound. And this is a very funny line, okay? Because, I mean, most normal people would say, I'm just calling to see if you have uh, any, like, uh, auxiliary speakers so I can create a surround sound system with my MIDI hi-fi have you got any extra speakers to make a sound a surround sound system, please? And he says, I'd like to make an inquiry about two supplementary auxiliary speakers to go with my MIDI fi- hi-fi system, apropos achieving surround sound. I can't really explain why that's funny, but he's just using a slightly too formal and impersonal register. He thinks that this is the appropriate way to, to speak to uh, an electronics store. I mean, but most people would just talk like a normal person. Uh, let's have a listen to that. Hello, is that Curry's? I'd like to make an inquiry about uh, two supplementary auxiliary speakers uh, to go with my uh, MIDI hi-fi system, apropos achieving surround sound. <laughs> Apropos. It's Latin, isn't it? <laughs> you ought to have a basic grasp of Latin if you're uh, if you're working in c- curries. 
Oh, you've got them. Excellent. Good. Um, one, one last thing. What time do you knock off? Huh. Fancy going for a drink? What time do you knock off? What time do you knock off, meaning what time do you stop work? What time do you knock off? Fancy you going for a drink? And the guy, uh, I think, just says no. We don't, again, we don't hear the other side of the conversation, which is, I think, helps the comedy, because you're imagining the other side of the conversation. You know, it's like you're overhearing someone on the bus having a conversation. Somehow, it just makes it more authentic. Uh, okay, just thought I'd ask. Thank This next scene is like he's in the, the, the lobby, the hall of the travel tavern, and there's nobody there. Uh, the place is, is being redecorated, so there's lots of ladders and, and uh, paint, you know, paint brushes and things like that lying around. The place is completely empty. Alan is completely on his own, and it just shows us how um, out of touch and how kind of uh, lost he is at this point in his life. And just the kind of desperation which he, with which he shouts to people to see if they want to join him, but no one answers. And he shouts, you know, just going to get some windscreen washer fluid. I, I don't know why it's funny. It's just the tone of his voice, the slight edge of desperation, you know. Anyone, anyone want to join me? And then, breath of fresh air! Just the way he shouts that slightly aggressively. A breath of fresh air is the sort of thing you would say. Normally, you'd be like, anyone want to pop out for a breath of fresh air? I'm just going to walk to the shops. A breath of fresh air, to have a breath of fresh air. Just, just go for a walk. The uh, petrol station. Get some uh, windscreen washer fluid. <laughs> Uh, anyone, uh, anyone want to join me? Uh, <laughs> breath of fresh air! <laughs> okay, now we're going to move on to the uh, next sketch then here, um, or the next scene. Um, and this video is called Unused Alan 8, Extended Car Scene. Now, um... This clip is actually an outtake, so it was never actually featured... You know, the whole scene wasn't featured in any of the episodes. It's an outtake from one of the DVD um, boxes, I think. And it's uh, the reason I've chosen this one is because there's no laughter track. You hear all those other clips, they've got an audience laughing because um, they actually filmed the, uh, the show with a live audience there uh, on a stage. It, most of it was filmed on a stage. Some bits were filmed on, on video and then played to the audience. So the laughter is all genuine laughter. But, um, I mean, I think uh, laughter tracks um, or audience laughter is very, a bit old-fashioned, really, in comedy. And these days, we, we tend to have no laughter track. And I think that helps. It's just better without a laughter track. I, I don't really like the laughter track. It sort of puts me off a bit. So this, I've chosen this clip uh, for several reasons. One of those reasons is because there's no laughter track. And when, you, when there is no laughter track, it totally changes the tone of what you're listening to. It's somehow much better, I think. But it's interesting to hear how the, the, the lack of laughter track changes the tone. As an example of this, I'm going to play you a clip of, of uh, a scene from Friends, you know, the American TV comedy Friends. Here's a scene from Friends with no laughter track. And you'll see that it makes Ross sound like a complete psycho. He sounds really scary like a psycho. So take away the laughter track, and it totally sort of recontextualizes re it. Now, this, uh, this clip I'm going to play you of Friends with No Laughter Track. To be honest, there is some music. Someone has added some music in the background to make it sound like a creepy, 
sort of psycho drama or something where Ross is like an unhinged psycho. So there is some music, but it just shows how either music or laughter can completely interpret or reinterpret the, the comedy you're listening to. So let's listen to briefly how Friends sounds completely different when there is no l- laughter track. In fact, it can make it sound like a weird sort of psycho drama or something. Basically, what's going on in this scene from Friends is that Ross is talking to someone who he works with. I think it might be his boss or something, because Ross is an uh, archaeologist. He works in a museum, and uh, he's talking to one of his colleagues. And the, the subject of the, the, the conversation is basically uh, uh, someone stole Ross's sandwich from the fridge. So Ross had a delicious turkey sandwich from the fridge that was made by his sister, and somebody stole it. And it turns out that it was one of the other archaeologists. And Ross gets very upset about it. Now, if you have the laughter track on this, it would sound much more lighthearted and funny. Take away the laughter track, add some creepy music, and it makes Ross sound like a total psycho. Ross, may I have a word with you? Oh, of course, Donald. We've been getting reports of some very angry behavior on your part. What? Threatening letters, refusal to meet deadlines. Apparently, people now call you mental. Yeah. (laughs) We want you to speak to a psychiatrist. You don't understand. Ugh, this is so silly. Um, This is all just because of a sandwich. A a sandwich? Yeah. uh, You see, my, my sister makes these amazing turkey sandwiches. Her secret is she puts a, an extra slice of gravy-soaked bread in the middle. I call it the moist maker. I put my sandwich in the fridge over here. And <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I, I believe I ate that. You ate my sandwich? I, it was a simple mistake. It could happen to anyone. Oh, really? Did you confuse it with your own turkey sandwich with a moist maker? Do you perhaps remember seeing a note on top of it? There may have been a a joke or limerick of some kind. That said, it was my sandwich. Now, Now calm down. Come look in my office. Uh, Some of it may still be in the trash. What? Well, it was quite large. I I, I had to throw most of it away. You, You threw my sandwich away. My sandwich? Okay, so you get the idea. That was from Friends, and that was just uh, a scene with no laughter track, because normally Friends has a laughter track. That was Friends with no laughter track, and it just changes the tone, doesn't it? It makes Ross sound like a total psycho. So it's interesting how listening to comedy with no laughter track sort of changes it. And in this case, going back to Alan Partridge again, in this case, having no laughter track makes Alan... Better. I think it makes Alan Partridge episodes better. It makes it sound more authentic. It's somehow funnier. So more recent Alan Partridge stuff, like some of the TV specials and the movie and stuff, they have no laughter track. And I think it really helps. So anyway, this is um, a clip with no laughter um, in which Steve Coogan and Felicity Montague, that's the actress who plays Lynn, 
if you remember, Lynn is Alan's assistant. Obviously, Steve Coogan and Felicity Montague in this scene are clearly improvising a lot of the dialogue. They're just sitting in the car, improvising dialogue. There are no big laughs in there. Again, no big catchphrases and things. But instead, this is just Alan at a bored moment in his day. It's also perhaps one of my favourite Alan moments because of the improvisation. The characters are just totally believable. It's like we are just observing them in a quiet moment during the day. And as we listen to their naturalistic dialogue, it's possible to notice that Alan is slowly becoming a bit unhinged. I mean, the doors are starting to fall off. I mean, he's, he's, he's going slightly crazy, I think. He's bored, he's isolated, he's probably quite sad, and perhaps even a bit desperate underneath. Alan is at a loose end, that's what he says. He said, um, I'm, I'm at a loose end. If you are at a loose end, it means you've got nothing to do. It means you're bored. And, and for Alan, this is a bad thing. Because if Alan is at a loose end, he, he starts to go a bit mad. Alan's the sort of person who needs to be making a television show. He needs to be broadcasting all the time. This is, this is his natural mode. He needs to be constantly broadcasting. And if he's just stuck in the travel tavern with nothing to do, it starts to eat away at him. So he says he's at a loose end. What he really means is that he's a bit depressed. So he's requested that Lynn come and meet him so that he can ask her something that's been bothering him. Now, Lynn lives quite far away. She lives quite far away, but he's asked that she come out to meet him so so that he can ask her something and it's quite a small thing really but alan makes lynn travel quite a long and complicated journey just to come out and see him and they just sit in the car in the car park and alan rambles about nothing in particular the main thing bothering him is that his car is making a weird beeping noise beep 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 it's the car is making a strange beeping noise and he doesn't know why but it seems that he needs he just needs Lynn to be there so that he can lecture her patronize her talk at her belittle her and stuff uh, and just generally be a bit mean to her and talk at her as a way of escaping the dark feelings that are probably gnawing away at him now, Lynn is very faithful to Alan. She's extremely faithful. She also has strong Baptist religious beliefs. But Alan is always very mean to her, making her take a taxi and walk a long way just so that Alan can have someone to talk to. Alan doesn't even believe Lynn when she gives her excuses for being late. Uh, she says that the taxi broke down. He doesn't believe her, which shows that she's clearly had a long journey to get there a long and complicated journey, and he's very ungrateful towards her. Lynn knows that Alan might be at a very vulnerable point. Uh, he's been thrown out by his wife, he's living in a travel tavern, and he punched the BBC Director General in the face with a piece of cheese, and it's not having a good effect on his mental state. So Lynn is very supportive, and she's clearly concerned about Alan and offers to talk to him about his problems. Uh, but instead of talking openly about his problems, Alan just goes on and on in great detail about all the features of the car, clearly avoiding his situation and his depressed state. And by the way, I think it was actually Lynn who was the one who bought the car for Alan. I expect that um, Alan probably told Lynn to buy the car. 
So she's the one who did it, I think. And so Alan criticizing the car, criticizing different parts of the car is kind of a way uh, for him to criticize her. So he's subtly telling Lynn that he's not happy with the car that she bought. Obviously, Alan is unhappy about more than the car, but he never talks about that. The only thing he can do is comment on minor details in the car. The more specific he gets about these trivial details, like, for example, the design of the badge on the steering wheel, then the more he's the more specific he gets about those things the more he's essentially trying to escape the reality of his situation which is that his life and career are a mess alan's strange broadcasting sensibility comes in as he starts reviewing the car commenting on the way the seat belts work and generally patronizing lynn there's a sense of tension going on in the scene which is obvious Uh, But it is hilarious comedy and it's improvised, okay? It might not strike you as being obvious comedy because this is definitely not obvious comedy. It's just like listening. It's like overhearing two people's conversation. There are no obvious jokes. It's more about the characters. The the humour comes from the characters, the way they express themselves and the way they interact with each other. So I would say don't imagine that this is comedy. Imagine instead that you're just listening in on someone's conversation. Let's imagine that we're spying on them. We're just over overhearing two people chatting aimlessly so just try and follow it coogan's ability to stay in character throughout the whole thing is amazing the actor uh, the absence of laughter track makes it a hundred times better and i wonder what you will think but this is one of my favorite alan moments it's so natural and the character's avoidance of talking about his problems while focusing on meaningless details of the car is very interesting from a character point of view and it shows that there is real depth and pathos to uh, this character here are some things to look out for Listen for the detail of how difficult it was for Lynn to come and meet him and how Alan expects, uh, Alan suspects that Lynn is lying. She says, you know, the taxi broke down, I had to walk. And Alan's like, is, is that a lie? He thinks she's lying, but she's not. The reason why Alan asked Lynn to come out, listen for Lynn's suggestion about why the car is making a noise. She makes a few different suggestions and Alan dismisses them all as being ridiculous, especially the, the suggestion that it could be because the clock is wrong. Every car has a clock in it and... Uh, Lynn suggests that maybe the car is beeping because the clock is wrong. And Alan, uh, you know, reacts to this suggestion as if it's totally ridiculous. He says, you're living in, you're living in cloud cuckoo land. Cloud cuckoo land is just like a place, a ridiculous place. You know, you'd, you'd say that when someone is, you know, have, someone has a ridiculous idea. He says, you're living in cloud cuckoo land, Alice in Wonderland, meaning, you, you, you know, that's just ridiculous. So listen for those things. Listen to what Alan thinks about the car, particularly his disappointment about the badge on the steering wheel. Um, Listen to how Alan loves the sound of the electric sunroof. He just loves the sound of the motors. And listen to what Alan says about the seat belts in the car, all right? Very mundane stuff, okay? This is not laugh, you know, laugh a second stuff. It's just mundane. You're just listening to two people's conversation. But watch out for those things. I'll go through all of this uh, when we've finished. Here we go. Sorry I'm a bit late. I uh, got caught in a taxi that broke down over there. A couple of miles back, I had to walk. The taxi broke down? Yes. It's just bad luck. Right. Unusual. Is that a lie? No. I'm very hot. I'll see. Tired. 
Um, no, the reason I asked you over here was to basically it was was to ask you this. Do you know what that noise is? It wouldn't be engine faulty, would it? Engine faulty? You're more specific than that, Lethe. Well, I, d- I don't know a great deal about car engines. Mm. I know it's a problem, but... Yeah, yeah I... I don't know what it is. It's been irritating me all morning. Is it, is it this, the, this handbrake, is it? No? Handbrake? No, no, no. Don't touch the handbrake. No. Sorry. You roll back. <laughs> Making sure it's in neutral, there. Oh, if you ever learned to drive, Lynn, it was when he stopped the car. Make sure it's in neutral, just give it a wiggle. Oh, right. Because my, my mum always puts it in first. Right. I, 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 I don't know why. Some people do that to stop it rolling back if you park on a hill, but it's... Oh, that's why. Un, but it's unorthodox. It's a stopgap for a faulty handbrake. But um, I personally frown on it. Maybe you haven't locked the, the car doors. Is it... Shall I, shall I try? Would you like me to... No, it's not. It's not. No, what it is. So lock the doors there. That's a design fault. Design flaw. Right. Just pop your elbow on there. You've locked the doors. Sometimes you don't want to. Right. I thought you'd like this. The um. The wood, yeah. The, yes, the wood effect. The wood was smelt. It's wood lamin. Uh-huh. Wood laminate. Right. No idea what that is. No, I'm afraid I, I don't know either. With the seat belts. Yeah. Seat belt. Pop your seat belt on. Well, it's not that. Do you... you know these are inertia real seat belts? They were developed in the sort of late 60s, early 70s, basically to uh, enable you to lean forward for things. But in a crash. It does stop you because, bang, Good. driving along, mm-hmm. very casual, suddenly a lorry veers in front of you, impact, bang, lock. Oh, does it work then? Sort of, you know, you know, you, might, you, might, you get bruises, but uh, right. rather have a few superficial bruises than um, massively mm-hmm. lacerated mm-hmm. face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awful. I mean, there should be airbags. There's, there an, there's an airbag on this side, not on yours. I'd love to feel an airbag go off in my face. It should be quite nice. Because I forgot about that, actually. It'd be, you, it would be... Oh, my God, we're going to crash! Brr, bush! Bush! It'll be cushion effects on the face. I mean, I'd love to feel one go off, and I'm not prepared to, to crash to find out. What I like about this part of the steering wheel is to help you get a little extra bit of purchase. Mm. It's pricked vinyl. But that's, I was told by the sales manager that that was a particular feature um, to, 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 to help your grip. Yes? Extra purchase. When you're driving long hours, especially with a vinyl steering wheel, I mean, I would have liked leather, but in the absence of leather, pricked vinyl will allow a certain amount of drainage of hand sweat. Oh. It, it's, um... I'll be honest, Lynn, I'm at a loose end today. That's, that's why I'm, uh, That's why I'm, uh, Talking. Would talking. You... 
talk, that's why I'm talking. The Rover uh, badge on the old car was, uh, was a lovely enamel, beautiful crested thing on the, on the steering wheel boss. Whereas this one was just uh, moulded into the vinyl. But you've got two lovely um, badges at the back of the car. You've got one on the boot and you've got one on the side. And they're, they're silver and they're in I, I thought you'd like them. Well, no, they're, 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 there's no doubt about that. that it's, it's good to see those. But when you're in the car, when I, all I do whenever I stare at the steering wheel boss, I see this moulded badge where once there was a lovely enamel one. And I can't pretend that that doesn't hurt. Sorry. No, it's 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 a good car for what it's worth. Mm. I mean, the uh, the sunroofs. It's just a lo- it's 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 a wonderful feat of engineering. Just listen to all these little servo motors. Mm-hmm. I'll turn the ignition on. What is that noise? Listen to the servos. Marvelous feat of engineering. It's almost it's almost like music itself. Listen. Or precision engineering. I'm back again. Whirring away. Lovely. Mm. Love just. And of course, you got the uh, manual uh, flap. Ah. What's that song? What's that song? I'm sorry, what song? Oh, I can't remember it. I'll take this off now. I know a song actually, it's quite cheery. It's, um, it goes, um, by the time you get to Phoenix, I'll be smiling. You know. Yeah. What's the relevance of that? That, you know, you go on long journeys or you go through a a bad patch and um, you can smile at the end of it normally but I didn't say I was going through a bad patch I said I was at a loose end yeah would you like to pop out in the car and get a feeling of it might cheer you up hmm? mm. I know that there's um, a couple of uh, roundabouts down there's a, an arcade it's a lovely horn isn't it mm. sorry you were saying something about an arcade no <laughs> Well, they just have a camel race there. And a it's, camel it was, race? It was great fun. Mm-hmm. A camel? You, you sit and you wait for other people to turn up and you race against them and you throw a ball up and keep throwing balls up into a hole and the camel... But actually, you, you, you can win prizes at the end. It's great. <laughs> Do you want to know the quickest way to drain a battery? Sorry, Ooh. sorry. Sorry. Oh, I've got funny knees. Sorry, I'm sorry about that. That's fine. They're a bit tired from walking. Yeah. You should tuck your legs under the seat, really. It's a bit lax stretching them out like that. The quickest way to drain a battery, leave the glove box open. Right, why would I want to drain a battery? I mean, that would... Well, you don't want to drain a battery. Oh, right. That's the point. Oh, I was just illustrating that you, that how not well, to drain the battery. We won't, leave, we won't leave your sweeties in there in case they, it comes open and jump long journey and I don't notice. What? We won't leave your sweeties in there, then. Because if it drops open on a long journey, then you might not notice it, and then the battery will be drained, so it's probably not a good idea. What's not a good idea? 
to, to put your sweeters in there, your boiled sweets. You've lost me. Boiled sweets? <laughs> Sound like a lunatic. What is that noise? Mm. I wish I knew. Is this um, this the indicator, isn't it? The indicator. The indicator. 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 So indica- so. Indicator. 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 It's really annoying, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I must. I must phone them and, and check. Don't phone. Don't phone them. They'll just make matters worse. Right. I have to go down the street with myself. How much petrol have you got in the tank? Is it the petrol? Where's the petrol? No, going? actually. No, but I am low on windscreen washer fluid. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe it's possibly that. It's got no, nothing to do with the structure. The alarm, of the, car, the alarm, no? the alarm. They wouldn't. You, they wouldn't set off an alarm because you're low on windscreen washer fluid. It's far too alarmist. There'd just be a light would come on, so you know you're a bit low. Right. But not, uh, not a big alarm like that. It's just a panic measure. You know, it's like someone going, "Oh my God, you're low on windscreen washer fluid." You don't need to say that. Mm. You know, you just just say um, you need a nudge. You need the car needs to say to you effectively, say, "Excuse me, I don't want to distract you from your driving, but you might like to know the windscreen washer fluid is getting low." And they do that with a little light, um, which has come on. You see it there, that one there. Yes. Yes. Well, it, it, the clock's not right, is it? That's impossible. <laughs> but you're not going to get a lot. The clock. The, the idea that. I'm sorry, Lynn, you know. I'm normally patient, but the idea that an alarm would be triggered because the clock isn't right is. Is, is, is cloud cuckoo land. Mm. Alice in Wonderland. Mm. So no, that's not going to happen. Mm. Mmm. You know it's warm when you get that waft of hot vinyl. Yeah. yeah. Quite a pleasant smell. Uh, do you cool me down with a hand fan? Please don't. You know what I mean, Damon? Ow! Oh, Lynn! Oh, Careful with it. I didn't realise it was so close. I'll take my lip off. <sighs> Come on, I'll drop you at a cab rank. Thanks. I've got time for then. Right. Super. Okay. Ooh. Right. So I got a. I've got a funny feeling that uh, that was a little tricky for you to understand because uh, it was all very kind of naturalistic dialogue. Uh, I think Lynn is not very loud. Um, it's difficult to hear what they were saying. Right. Of course it was. Don't worry though. I'm here to try and help you. Let's go through the video again and we'll break it down bit by bit. Okay. Without this getting too long, this episode, we'll see. Okay. So let's go through that again and we'll break it down bit by bit. Here we go. Sorry, I'm a bit late. I uh, got caught in a taxi that broke down over there. Sorry, I'm a bit late. I got caught in a taxi that broke down over there. The taxi broke down. I think we know what that means, right? The taxi, something, there was a problem with the taxi and it couldn't go any further. So the taxi broke down over there. Sorry, I'm late. A couple of miles back, I had to walk. A couple of miles back, I had to walk. Taxi broke down. Yes. So Alan is, like, sceptical. The, the taxi broke down. And she's like, yes. And, he, and then he goes, 
is that a lie? He, is, he assumes that she's lying and she goes, no. It's just bad luck. Right. Unusual. Is that a lie? No. I'm very hot. It's just not very nice of Alan to, to accuse her of lying. I mean, she, clearly she's had a difficult journey and he turns around and goes, are you lying? Lynn wouldn't lie. She's not a liar. I'll say. Tired. She's very hot and tired. Um, no, the reason I asked you over here was to basically, it was, was to ask you this. The reason I asked you over here was basically was to, to ask you this. And then he switches on the car ignition and there's that annoying beep that he doesn't understand. Do you know what that noise is? Oh. Oh. Um. It, it wouldn't be engine faulty, would it? She goes, she's, she's obviously got no idea, but she feels obliged to give him an answer. And, and she says, oh, uh, it, it, it wouldn't be engine faulty, would it? Which is an interesting structure. It wouldn't be blah, 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 would it? Which is like a kind of a way of giving an answer while also not... You know, it wouldn't be engine engine faulty, would it? Like she's she doesn't know, and Alan is like, you got to be more specific than that, Lynn. You got to be more specific than that. Like they wouldn't have an alarm like that. Just says ed- engine faulty. It's going to be more specific than that, Lynn. Engine faulty. You got to be more specific than that, Lynn. Well, I, d- I don't know a great deal about car engines. I don't know a great deal about car engines. Meaning, I don't know very much about car engines. I know it's a problem. But- yeah, I, I don't know what it is. It's been irritating me all morning. It's been irritating me all morning. So clearly Alan has spent the entire morning trying to work out what this beeping noise is. He, he must be going mental. Is it, is it this, the, this handbrake? Go, Lynn goes, is it this? Is it the handbrake? The handbrake is the, the brake that, you know, you, you go, you kind of pull it up to stop the car from rolling when you've parked. She goes, is, the, is it this? Is, that, is it the handbrake? And Alan's going, no, it's not the handbrake. Don't touch the handbrake, he says. We'll, we'll end up rolling back. So he's like telling Lynn what to do, telling her off for touching the handbrake. Don't touch the handbrake. We'll end up rolling back. Is it? No. Handbrake, no, no, no. Don't touch the handbrake. No. Sorry. Roll back. We'll roll back. <laughs> Making sure it's in neutral. Eh? So it was, have you ever learned to drive, Lynn? It was when he stopped the car. Make sure it's in neutral. Just give it a wiggle. So he's saying, you know, just make sure it's in neutral. You know, when you're in a car and you make sure you need, if it's a manual car, you need to make sure the car is in neutral. These are the gears. We're talking about the gears and the gear stick. Uh, Lots of vocab for cars in this episode. The gear stick is what you use to change gears. And you've got first gear, second gear, third gear, fourth gear, fifth gear, probably in reverse gear. And then neutral in the middle. And he's saying, you know, if you ever learnt to drive, Lynn, just, you know, uh, just make sure you're in neutral. Just give it a bit of a wiggle. To wiggle is to move something left and right a little bit. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle like that. So he's like, he's explaining to her how it's necessary to make sure that your car is in neutral by giving it a wiggle. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know, where's the comedy in that? I can't explain it. It's kind of, I suppose it's just that that's a thing that people do, isn't it? People do wiggle the, the, the uh, gear stick in order to make sure it's in neutral. And here's Alan teaching Lynn, you know, how to do it. Right, because my mum my always puts it in first. 
Lynn says, my mum always puts it in first. So when Lynn's mum parks, she puts the car in first gear. This is her approach to making sure the car doesn't roll. Now, Alan doesn't agree with this this method. He, he says he finds it unorthodox. He says it's a stopgap for a faulty handbrake. A faulty handbrake, that's a handbrake that's not working properly. And a stopgap for a faulty handbrake is like a quick solution when, uh, you know, in this case, if your handbrake doesn't work, you can put the car in first gear and it won't roll away. So he says, um, you know, yeah, it's a, some people do that, but it's, it's a stopgap for a, for a faulty handbrake. And, uh, you know, it's, it's unorthodox, meaning it's, it's uh, unconventional. Um, and, and, you know, I, I personally frown on it. If you frown on something, it means you disagree with it. To frown is like when you, you know, it's an expression on your face. And if you frown is like when you see something that you don't agree with, you might make an expression with your face where your eyebrows go down over your eyes and you frown. So Alan says, yeah, it's a stopgap for a, for a faulty handbrake. It's, it's unorthodox. And, you know, I, I personally, I frown on it, which is a, <laughs> it's just an interesting sort of, articulate position that he's got on putting the car in the first first gear he he takes this kind of it's almost like he's a businessman explaining something in a meeting um showing that he's thought about these things far too much right some people do that to stop it rolling back if you park on a hill but it's oh, that's why. Un, but it's unorthodox it's a stopgap for a faulty handbrake but um i personally frown on it Maybe you haven't locked the, t- the car doors, is it? She says, maybe you haven't locked the car doors and they start, t- start talking about the locks on the doors. Shall I, shall I try? Would you like me to? No, it's not. It's not. Not what it is. Alan there leans his arm on the on the windowsill of the car and sort of um, accidentally locks the car because you know cars in those days had locks where you'd like press this little button down on the on the on the door and it would lock the door. He sort of inadvertently locks the door by leaning his arm on the on the on the side of the car. And he says this is a design flaw because sometimes, you know, you lock the car by accident and sometimes you don't want to. So he, he's kind of like reviewing or criticising the car, saying this is a design flaw. So lock the doors there. That's a design fault. Design flaw. Right. Just pop your elbow on there. You lock the doors, sometimes you don't want to. Right. So he's kind of reviewing the car, which, you know... Uh, getting distracted or, or focusing on these little details because I mean he's obviously he's invited Lynn to come and talk to him because he's feeling a bit depressed but he can't talk about that instead he ends up picking little details uh, out about the car in this kind of vaguely broadcasting media sort of journalists TV presenter type way I thought you'd like this the um the wood yeah the, yes, the, the wood effect the wood was smart it's wood, lamin- uh, wood laminate so Lynn is pointing out the fact that there's a kind of a wooden-looking design in the car. And she said, I thought you'd like this. And Alan, you know, points out that it's not really wood. It's wood laminate, meaning it's like fake wood. No idea what that is. No, I'm afraid I, I don't know either. With the seat belts. Yeah. They try putting the seat belts on. And then Alan gets involved in talking about how the seat belts work. And the fact he'd love to f- experience having a, a, an airbag go off in his face. You feel like it was a nice sort of soft cushion feeling. Poof. Uh, 
like that. But he, he, he'd love to find out, but he's not willing to have an accident in order to find out. And he goes on about how uh, the seatbelts work. You know, he said they're inertia real seatbelts. I don't really know. I think that means that the seatbelts can react to, you know, um, when the body moves from a, from a still position. So he's just talk, describing the seatbelts in, te- in a technical way. And then he kind of imagines what it would be like to have an actual crash and for the seatbelts to work. You know, he's like, oh, my God, we're going to have a crash. Put your seatbelts on. Well, it's not that. You know, these are inertia real seatbelts. They were developed in the late 60s, early 70s, basically, to uh, enable you to lean forward for things. But in a crash, it does stop you because... Bang! Driving along, very casual. Suddenly, a lorry veers in front of you. Impact, bang! Lock! Oh, does it work then? Sort of, you know... You know, you, might, you, might, you get bruises, but uh, right. rather have a few superficial bruises than um, massively lacerated face. <laughs> I'd rather have a few superficial bruises, meaning sort of like not very big bruises. If you if you crash and the seatbelt stops you, you'll have a few superficial bruises. He said, I'd rather have a few superficial bruises than a massively lacerated face. <laughs> it's like incredibly detailed language to describe a massively lacerated face that would be if your face is being cut a lot by maybe broken glass or the impact of a crash i'd rather i'd rather have i'd rather have a few superficial bruises than a, a massively lacerated face it's like a very graphic description of what would happen if you weren't wearing a seat belt it's just slightly weird choice of language uh, right. rather have a few superficial bruises than a um, massively mm. lacerated mm. face yeah. wow. mm. awful I mean, there should be airbags. There's, there an, be there's airbags. an airbag on this side, not on yours. I'd love to feel an airbag go off in my face. It should be quite nice. Because I forgot about that, actually. It'd be, you, it would be... Oh, my God, we're going to crash! Brr, bush! Bush! There'll be cushion yeah. effects on the face. Right. I mean, I'd love to feel one go off, and I'm not prepared to, to crash to find out. What I like about this part of the steering wheel is to help you get a little extra bit of purchase. It's pricked vinyl. <laughs> what is now talking about the steering wheel, which is what you use to turn the car. Uh, what I like about this is uh, just to give you an e- a bit of extra purchase. So again, this is language that just people don't normally use. It means, I would say, to get a good grip on the wheel. But he says to just give you a bit of extra purchase, meaning purchase, meaning uh, grip. Um, to give you a bit of extra purchase, it's pricked vinyl. So again, very specific language. Normal people would just say, you know, it's like vinyl with little holes in it. It helps you to grip the wheel. But just to give you a little extra purchase, it's pricked vinyl. Uh, again, that would be probably how it's described in the manual. But pricked vinyl is just vinyl material with a few little holes in it to help you grip the wheel just to give you a bit of extra purchase it's pricked vinyl get a little extra bit of purchase mm. it's pricked vinyl but that's i was told by the sales manager that that was a particular asset feature um to to, to, to help your grip yes? extra purchase when you're driving long hours especially with a vinyl steering wheel i mean i would have liked leather but in the absence of leather pricked vinyl will allow a certain amount of drainage of 
hand sweat. See, pricked vinyl will allow a certain amount of drainage of hand sweat. <laughs> I don't think it's really true. Maybe, maybe that it helps the, if your hands are sweaty, it helps to uh, get rid of some of the sweat. It will allow a, a extra drainage for hand sweat. It's, um... I'll be honest, Lynn, I'm at a loose end. I'll be honest, Lynn, I'm at a loose end, meaning I've got nothing to do. Today, that's, that's why I'm, uh, that's why I'm, uh, talking, talking, talk, that's why I'm talking. The Rover, uh, badge on the old car. It was, uh, it was a lovely enamel, beautiful crested thing on the on the steering wheel boss. Wait a minute. So the, the, the Rover badge uh, on the previous model was a lovely enamel crested thing uh, on the steering wheel boss. Uh, the steering wheel boss. I didn't even know that word. Uh, again, a, another word, a very specific technical word that most people don't use. Uh, the steering wheel boss. This is the... Uh, the, the, the centre of the steering wheel. So he's talking about how the previous model of the Rover had a, a much better badge on the steering wheel. It was enamel and, and it was crested. So it's like a beautiful, much better quality badge that they had on it. And these days, it, the, the badge is just moulded into the vinyl. You know, it's just like, imagine it's been stamped into the vinyl. So Alan's kind of like musing about this and how he, he's disappointed that the, the ba- the, the, this model of Rover doesn't have a proper em- enamel badge in the steering wheel. Now, this is because that Alan has had to choose, he's had to buy a smaller, cheaper Rover because, you know, he, he, he didn't get the second series of his TV show. So he's downgraded to a smaller rover. And, you know, he feels upset about it. He says, you know, uh, every day I look at this badge, you know, and it's just molded into the into the steering wheel. Uh, and, you know, I can't help. I can't, I, you know, I must admit that that does hurt. So he, he feels bad when he sees the molded uh, badge. Enamel, beautiful crested thing on the, on the steering wheel boss. Whereas this one is just... Uh moulded into the vinyl but you've got two lovely um, badges at the back of the car you've got one on the boot and you've got one on the side and they're Lynn. silver and they're on I, I thought I you'd like them I know that, 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 there's no doubt about that, that it's, it's good to see those but when you're in the car when I, all I do whenever I stare at the steering wheel boss I see this moulded badge where once there was a lovely enamel one and I can't pretend that that doesn't hurt so the, ba- the, 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 the badge represents how Alan feels bad that his life or his career is not as good as it was before and it's all centred on the badge. He says, I can't help feeling, I can't help feeling that, that that hurts, you know, seeing the, the badge that's not as good. Sorry. No, it's, it's, it's a good car for what it's worth. Mm. I mean, the, uh, the sunroof, it's just a, it's, 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 it's a wonderful feat of engineering. Just listen. The sunroof is a wonderful feat of engineering, like a wonderful achievement of engineering. So he, he, he loves the sound of the sunroof, the little servo motors. Servo motors are like simple little motors that move things in, one, in, in two directions, I think. So listen to the lovely servo motors, and he goes on in great detail about how much he loves the engineering of the, of the sunroof and just the, the sound of the servo motors. Listen to all these little servo motors. I mean, what kind of person would... I don't know. Well, it's a certain type of English guy 
uh, this attention to detail, very picky, and he he just really appreciates the engineering in a sunroof, um, uh, in, in an automatic sunroof. I have to turn the ignition on. What is that noise? Listen to the servos. Marvellous feet of engineering. It's almost, it's almost like music itself. Listen. Lovely. Oil, mm, oil, oil, special. Or precision mm. engineering. Mm. And back again. Whirring away. Lovely. Mm. Love just. And of course you got the uh, manual uh, flap. You've got the manual flap, meaning the cover that goes underneath the uh, sunroof, and he does it with his hand. The manual flap, <laughs> or the cover. Uh, what's that song? What's that song? What's, oh, sorry, I'm sorry, what song? This is where Alan is trying to remember a song, but he's, he can't remember it. <laughs> what's that song? You know that song? And Lynn's like, I've got, sorry, I've got no idea what you're talking about. Oh, oh I can't remember it. remember it I'll take this off now I know a song actually is quite cheery this is where Lynn attempts to cheer Alan up by singing a line from a song which is like by the time I get to Phoenix I'll be smiling so she's you know trying to cheer him up saying you might feel bad now but you know later on you'll feel much better about it and Alan just denies that he feels bad he says I'm you know I'm not feeling I'm not you know I'm not going through a bad patch I'm just at a loose end it's um It goes, um, by the time you get to Phoenix, I'll be smiling, you know. Yeah. What's the relevance of that? That, you know, you go on long journeys or you go through a a bad patch. You go through a bad patch. And um, you can smile at the end of it. And you can smile at the end of it. And Alan's like, I'm not going through a bad patch, Lynn. I'm just at a loose end. Normally. I didn't say I was going through a bad patch. I said I was at a loose end. Yeah. Would you like to pop out in the car and get a feel of it? This, this is probably a very confusing bit. Basically, Lynn says, would you like to take the car for a drive? You know, you might enjoy it. And she says, there's an arcade just down the road. There's a couple of roundabouts and then an arcade. An arcade is a game centre. And she talks about how uh, there's this camel racing game, which is, I guess, where you have to throw balls into a hole. And the more balls you get into the hole, the, the faster your camel will run. And so Lynn suggests that Alan goes and plays that. And Alan's just like, you know, what, what are you talking about? Might cheer you up. I know that there's um, a couple of uh, roundabouts down. There's a, an arcade. Oh, yeah, that's all right. And, and while she's trying to describe this, Alan beeps the horn. He interrupts her by beeping the horn. I hope that didn't give you a little surprise there. But Alan interrupts her rudely by beeping the horn halfway through what she's saying. It's a lovely horn, isn't it? Mm. Sorry, you were saying something about an arcade? No. <laughs> so rude that he just interrupted her and he's sorry what were you saying and 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 lynn's like oh never mind and she tries to explain it but obviously alan's just you know he just doesn't care really what she's trying to say uh he's she's only there so that he has someone to talk to well they just have a camel race there and a it's, camel it was, race it's great fun mm-hmm. you, you sit and you wait for other people to turn up and you race against them and you throw a ball up and keep throwing balls up into a hole and the camel but actually you you, you can win prizes at the end 
great. <laughs> Do you want to know the quickest way to drain a battery? Sorry, oh. sorry, sorry. Okay, so Alan says, do you want to know the quickest way to, to drain the battery? And then he goes, he opens the glove box. The glove box is the little sort of uh, little storage space in front of the passenger, right? That's the glove box. We don't keep gloves in it, obviously, anymore. Probably once upon a time we did. But anyway, the glove box. He's saying, do you want to know the quickest way to drain a battery? Meaning how to, like, you know, kill your battery in the car. You, uh, and he opens the glove box and he accidentally touches Lynn on the leg. He touches her leg accidentally. And obviously he's like, oh, sorry, sorry, because it's very awkward to make physical contact like that. There's no affection in this relationship between Alan and Lynn. Certainly from Alan to Lynn, there's no affection. And it's very awkward, uh, you know, if he physically touches her. And if there's ever any suggestion that there's kind of an, any affection between them, Alan immediately will will you know emphasize that there's no affection you know um so he touches her leg by accident he's like oh god sorry battery sorry oh. sorry sorry oh, I've got funny news. sorry i'm sorry about that that's fine a bit tired from walking yeah. you should tuck your legs under the seat really it's a bit lax stretching them out like that so you should tuck your legs under the seat. It's a bit lax stretching them out like that. So he's actually telling Lynn, you should put your legs, legs under the seat because it's a bit lazy just sitting back with your legs stretched out, which is not a very nice thing to, to say. He's actually telling her how to sit. Quickest way to drain a battery, leave the glove box open. Right, why, why would I want to drain a battery? I mean, that would... Well, you don't want to drain a battery. Oh, right. That's the point. Well, I was just illustrating that you, how not well, to drain the battery. We won't, leave, we won't leave your sweeters in there in case they... It comes open and it's a long journey I don't notice. Lynn is going, well, what about if you leave your sweets, your sweeties in the glove box on a long journey? She's saying this is why you shouldn't leave your sweeties in the glove box on a long journey because the box might pop open and you won't notice and you'll drain your battery. This is the point she's trying to make. But Alan just doesn't understand. She's like, what, what do you, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, what? And, and, you know, she explains it again. He goes, you've lost me, meaning I don't know what you're talking about. What? We won't leave your sweeters in there, then. Because if it drops open on a long journey, then you might not notice it, and then the battery will be drained, so it's probably not a good idea. What's not a good idea? To, to put your sweeters in there, your boiled sweets. You've lost me. Boiled sweets? <laughs> Sound like a lunatic. Boiled sweets, you sound like a lunatic, he says. A lunatic is a crazy person. What is that noise? Mm. I wish I knew. Is, is um, this the indicator, isn't it? The in- she goes, it's, it's, it's the indicator, isn't it? She gets the word wrong. It's actually indicator. You know when you turn left, you need to... Press, you know, you switch the indicator and it goes tick-tock, tick-tock to show that you're going left or right. Tick-tock, tick, that's the indicator. But Lynn accidentally says it's the indicator, uh, which is the wrong word. And Alan's like, indicator? It's not indicator, it's the indicator. Is, is, um, this is the indicator, isn't it? The indicator, the indicator. Indicator. Indicator, so indica- indicator. 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 really annoying, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I must, I must phone them and, and check. 
Don't phone, don't phone them. They'll just make matters worse. Right. I have to go down there and speak to them myself. How much petrol have you got in the tank? Is it the petrol? Where's the petrol? No, actually, gauge? no, but I am low on windscreen washer fluid. So I am low on windscreen washer fluid. We know what that is. But then he goes on to say, but, you know, they, they, would, they wouldn't have an alarm like that for windscreen washer fluid. It's, it's too alarmist. Alarmist is when you are a bit over the top about an alarm. You know, like kind of like uh, imagine raising a really big, loud alarm for such a small thing. It's a bit alarmist. So he's saying, no, they wouldn't have that for a for windscreen washer fluid. It's too alarmist. You know what? The, what they really need to do, what the car needs to do, is say to you, um, you know, sorry to interrupt your driving, but you should know that you are running a little bit low on windscreen washer fluid. And they do that with a little light. Okay, not a big alarm like that. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe it's possibly that. It's got no, nothing to do with the structure it, the alarm, of the car. The alarm, no, the alarm, they wouldn't, you, they wouldn't set off an alarm because you're low on windscreen washer fluid. It's far too alarmist. There'd just be a light would come on, so, you know, you're a bit low. Right. But not, uh, not a big alarm like that. It's just a panic measure, you know. It's like someone going, Oh, my God, you're low on windscreen washer fluid. You don't need to say that, mm. you know. You just, just say, um, you need a nut. You need, the car needs to say to you effectively, say, Excuse me. I don't want to distract you from your driving, but you might like to know the windscreen washer fluid is getting low, and they do that with a little light, um, which has come on. See it there, that one there. Yes. yes. Well, it, it, the clock's not right, is it? So Lynn suggests that it's maybe because the clock isn't right and Alan finds this completely ridiculous. And he says, you're in cloud cuckoo land, which is like, you know, you're in fantasy land. Alice in Wonderland. There's no way, Lynn, that they're going to have an alarm like that if the clock... I mean, you're, you're, you're in cloud cuckoo land. It's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to get an alarm. The clock... The, the idea that... I'm sorry, Lynn, you know, I'm normally patient, but the idea that an alarm would be triggered because the clock isn't right is... Is, is, is cloud cuckoo land. Mm. Alice in Wonderland. Mm. So no, that's not going to happen. Mm. Hmm. At this point, Alan comments on how it's hot. He says when it's hot, you, you get these... Uh, what hot vinyl because the the car is made of vinyl so you get this feeling of hot vinyl it's, it's quite a nice smell and he's saying can you cool me he says can you cool me down with the hand fan you know those little hand fans that you hold the electric hand fans you put a battery in it and it sort of spins these little rotor blades around you use it to keep your face cool he says to Lynn Lynn can you cool me down with the hand fan so he actually asks her to hold the fan and cool his face down and uh, he turn she holds it very close to him and he turns his face to her and and uh, it hit the fan hits him in the face and he's like oh Lynn, watch out you know you're going to get you're going to cut my lip um so can you just cool me down with the hand fan is sort of a funny line because he's ordering her to hold this little fan in front of his face you know it's warm and you get that waft of hot vinyl yeah <laughs> uh, quite a pleasant smell uh, do you cool me down with the hand fan please don't You know what I mean, Damon? Ow! Oh, Lynn! Oh, Careful sorry, with it! I didn't realise it was so close. I'll take my lip off. <sighs> Come on, I'll drop you at a cab rank. Thanks, I've got to- Come on, I'll drop you at a cab rank, which again 
is you know reveals Alan's kind of selfishness. He's not going to drive her all the way home. He'll drive her to a taxi station. He expects her to buy a you know to pay for a taxi to come all the way out and see him. Come on, I'll drop you at a cab rank. He's a terrible boss. Time for then. Super. Okay, well then, there we are, ladies and gentlemen. We got to the end of that. Um, Oh my goodness. Uh, one hour, 34 minutes. This has become so long. It's epic. Uh, I suppose, you know, some, some people will have dropped off along the way that a lot, a lot of people wouldn't make it. Some of the, those of you who've made it to the end of this third episode after an hour and 35 minutes, then well done. You know, you are the hardcore few. Um, so just to end here, there is a massive amount more of Partridge and almost all of it is excellent. Great performance, great writing, great characters. In my opinion, I don't know, maybe you don't get it at all but anyway perhaps i will revisit alan one day on the podcast as i as i've said before i wonder how you feel about this my aim has been just to introduce you to some stuff that you didn't know before and teach you some english in the process if you've enjoyed it and you want to check out more alan's stuff then great if you didn't really get it well so be it at least i tried here are some alan recommendations tv series you could watch i'm alan partridge series one and two Uh, which are both available on on iTunes and on DVD. The TV specials, which you might find on YouTube, uh, one called Welcome to the Places of My Life, and the other one is called Scissored Isle. There's a web series called Mid-Morning Matters with Alan Partridge, which you can also get on iTunes now. Audiobooks, uh, which you can get on uh, audible.com, of course. The two audiobooks, one is called I, Partridge, and the other one is called Nomad. And then there's a film, a feature film called Alpha Papa, which is not exactly the same as normal Partridge because it's a feature film. It's not the same, really. There's some differences, but it's still good. So do let me know everything you think in the comments section. It's impossible for me to predict how episodes like this will be received by my audience i really do scratch my head and wonder what the hell people in china or russia or japan or even closer to home in france or any other place will think about some of the content i share with you the only way i can know is if you write to me and tell me what you think i'm certain that some of you completely won't get it but some of you might get it and for me it's worth doing these episodes even if only some of you get it At the very least, if you didn't get the comedy, I think we can agree there's been a lot of language to be learned in these episodes. Check the page for this episode to see all of the notes and transcriptions. I should do a premium episode covering all of that just to make sure it really goes into your head properly. For example, do you remember what is the phrase that Alan uses to describe how he's bored and he's got nothing to do? What's the phrase? He He says, I'm at a loose end. He's at a loose end. All right. Well, anyway, that's the sort of stuff I do in the premium episodes. To sign up for that for the price of a coffee per month, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium. That's pretty much it for this episode. Check out the bonus content for these Partridge episodes. There is there is bonus content for part one. That's me talking to my friend Raf about Alan Partridge. There might be some more bonus content popping up um, in the future but we will see okay so i'm going to stop talking now you can look forward to new episodes of the podcast coming soon um and in fact the next episodes will be with amber and paul i talked to to them in this very room just last week so you're going to get some a couple of amber and paul episodes coming up so you can look forward to those thanks so much for listening all the way to the end of the episode well done for getting this far i'll speak to you again soon but for now goodbye bye 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.